We come before you, most high God of heaven and earth, the great I am, the creator of all things, both visible and invisible. And we come before you with hearts just full of gratefulness to be able to call you Father, Abba, with hearts full of praise for our privilege to have open access to you, which is only by your grace and having sent your son to take upon himself the likeness of man and voluntarily lay down his perfectly sinless life in order to be our kinsman redeemer, our substitutionary sin bearer. So I pray that each of us would have an ever-growing love and appreciation for the reality of the incarnation of the second person of the Godhead, which we particularly celebrate this time of year. We ask, Father, that from our study today regarding the angelic realm of your creation to be more like the holy angels. May we learn from them today to be like them in their humility and in their tenderness, in their fervent worship of you, in their watchfulness and in their swift obedience to your commands. Like them, may we be messengers of your revealed word to this lost and dying world. And like them, may we be those who minister to your people, to one another. And Lord, as we look at our world today, at both local, national, and global events, and we realize the proliferation of evil is indeed, as your word said, waxing worse and worse, with people everywhere calling good evil and evil good, and mocking our faith, and your word, the scripture, we ask that you would use, we know your specialty is taking what man meant for evil and using it for good, so we ask that you would use the turmoil of this world to cause people to look for, for answers, and to be still and know that you are God, and to listen to your word with a new sensitivity and with open hearts. We ask that you would use this time in history to bring about a spiritual awakening. We so very much long as your people for the day when your son will be honored as he rightfully should be here on earth. And now we ask that there would be no thought or disruption or attitude here among us that would bring the hindering spirit of the outside world into this atmosphere so that there is freedom for the Holy Spirit to do his work in every soul here, which is to exalt and to magnify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name and for whose glory we do pray. Amen. Well, angelology, that is the title for our lesson. Man has spent much time, much thought, many of our tax dollars, and a lot of effort speculating and searching for an answer to the question as to whether or not he is the only intelligent being in the universe. And is life confined to this planet alone? Is there extraterrestrial life out there somewhere? And if so, are they friend or foe? Well, the fact is that the answer to these questions are readily available. Could have saved men a lot of tax dollars, couldn't we? If they would just turn to what source? <laughs> According to the divinely inspired scripture, we can find out there are indeed other living, rational, personal creatures in existence besides man. And as to whether they are friend or foe, what is the answer? Exactly, both, both. Will we ever be able to meet and communicate with them? Yes, after death. And in fact, a number of human beings already have met and talked with them. So who are these extraterrestrial beings referred to in 34 of the 66 books of the Bible? There are 17 books in the New Testament, 17 books in the Old Testament that mention angels. <clears throat> who are, well, I just gave you the answer. Who are they? <laughs> they are angels mentioned almost 400 times in the Bible. Other names for them are sons of God, servants of God, ministering spirits, heavenly host, watchers, sons of the mighty, 
the chariots of God, holy one, stars, or morning stars, archangel, cherubim, seraphim, four living creatures, principalities, powers, thrones, rulers, dominions, demons, devils, evil spirits, unclean spirits, and seducing spirits. And I don't think I covered all of them. Legion, there's another one. The evidence for angels, both friend and foe, holy and fallen, is so widespread and so substantial in scripture, it is absolutely overwhelming. There was a man in our church years ago who taught Sunday school. His name was Rick Angel. And he taught on angelology for 13 weeks. So today we're just going to scratch the surface. We're going to have a, a fly-by jet tour on the fascinating theological doctrine called angelology. There was, if you remember some of you back in the 1990s, there was an excessive fascination with angels. Uh, there was just an explosion of all kinds of TV programs, books, magazine articles, movies, etc. Even Time and Newsweek, as you can see behind me, uh, gave a kick to this interest in the spirit world. But unfortunately, the sudden angel trend produced a lot of inaccurate, misleading, foolish, and even occultic information with it. Our purpose today is only to look at what the Bible has to say about angels. And primarily, you'll be glad to know this, primarily we're going to focus on the holy angels. We'll save the fallen angels for another day. Maybe Halloween. <laughs> now, we look at the Bible because it is the only authoritative source for information about angels. Why is that? Well, because its ultimate author is who? God, who is the creator and sovereign Lord of the angelic realm. And we find that the doctrine of angels holds an important place in God's word, as I mentioned. However, every single reference to angels is incidental to some other subject. They're never simply treated in and of themselves. In other words, there is no book of angels, is there? If I told you to turn to the book of angels, you'd be looking for a long time. I tricked one lady and said one time, I said, it's in the book of Noah, and she spent hours looking for the book of Noah. That was so naughty of me. Um, <laughs> but there is no large section of the scripture that is devoted to, to revealing to us about the nature and the different types and the ranks and the duties of angels. When they are mentioned in the scripture, it is always to tell us something about the Lord and what he is doing. And yet, while the mention of angels is always incidental to some other subject, it is an important part of divine revelation, and it should not be neglected, as it often is. The holy angels are messengers of God. They serve him. They do his bidding. The fallen angels serve who? They serve Satan, who is himself an angel. He was a cherub. Although we often tend to be more interested in what angels are like, you know, what they look like, what they do, do they fly, do they eat, do they play harps, <laughs> uh, where do they live, etc., <clears throat> how do they interact with us, we focus more on that, but scripture is more focused on revealing the function or the duty of these created beings, more so than in re revealing their nature to us. You see, the Lord wants us to glorify him for the ministry of his angels, both to himself. They minister to him. They also minister to his people. They minister to us. He wants us to focus on glorifying him for the holy angels. He also wants us to learn from their example. Um, and they are, they are wonderful examples. They are fully devoted, the holy angels, not the fallen angels, they are fully devoted worshipers, warriors, and watchers 
of the Lord, and they are his faithful messengers. In the inspired word of God, the evidence for angels is so widespread and it is so substantial, it is indeed overwhelming. As I said, we could spend probably a whole study on the subject. So for Christians to reject the reality of the angelic realm logically means that they disbelieve in the deity of Christ. So someone who claims to be a Christian and yet they deny the reality of the angelic spiritual realm is really denying the deity of Christ because he not only believed in their reality, he spoke to them. Remember when he spoke to Lucifer in the wilderness? Uh, he cast demons out. He rebuked demons. He exercised demons out of people. He spoke about them often in his teaching. And he was ministered to them frequently during his earthly visitation. And they will help prepare the world and attend to him at his second coming. So if they don't exist, what does that mean? Jesus was fooled, right? Because he believed in him. He was deceived or he lied about them. And therefore he can't be God. So are you following my logic? And another very critical truth is this fact. By the way, he created them. So the bottom line is that God wants human beings to be aware of the existence of the angelic realm, both holy and fallen. He wants us to have correct knowledge of them and to understand that they are created beings subject to him as we are. They are not to be scoffed at as being unreal just because we cannot see them. I can't see God, but I believe in him. Right? Um, but on the other hand, nor are they to, they to be exalted. They are never, ever, ever to be worshipped. That was one of the negative things that came out of the 90s. People started worshipping angels and praying to angels, and seeking their guidance, and all kinds of weird things. But the Bible avoids both extremes. It gives us the only trustworthy and balanced view of angels. So that is our source for this study on angelology. Now there are many misconceptions about angels. There is a lot of fantasy, a lot of folklore, a lot of mythology, a lot of occultic teaching. Even maybe what your grandma or your Aunt Susie might have told you growing up. My mother used to tell me that when I died, I, became, I would become what? An angel. Is that true or false? False. False. <laughs> so there's a lot, a lot of misconceptions on, out there that are not based on scripture. Just take a trip to Hobby Lobby and you can find a lot of examples of unbiblical angels. So our purpose is to know what the Bible says about them, primarily the holy angels. Who are they? What do they do? Why is it important for us to know about them? So let's answer some questions. Where did angels come from? Like everything else in the universe, they were created by God the Father through Jesus Christ in the energy of God the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3.9 says God created all things by Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.16 says, By Christ all things were created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be, and here's some ranks of angels, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. And this is why they're called sons of God. How were the angels created? Well, like man, they were created by a special act of God. They did not evolve into being. They were not made from the dust of the earth because they were created without matter. God spoke them into existence from absolutely nothing. What's that called? Ex nihilo, something from nothing. You have to be God to be able to do that. And he then breathed into them his spirit of life. Psalm 148.2, you have it up there, says, Praise ye him, all his angels, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. That's power, isn't it? And that's also no evolution. 
the word of God, the dynamic power of the word of God. When were they created? Well, they were created before earth, before the earth, the foundation of the earth, and before man. How do we know that? Well, Job <clears throat> 38.7 says, the morning stars, and that's a term for the angels, sang, you notice that? Sang together. And the sons of God, that's again angels, shouted for joy when he laid the foundation of the earth. Did you notice that they were singing and that they were expressing emotion, joy? Can angel, do angels have personality? Do they have emotion and intelligence? Yes. Now I point out the singing because we don't see angels singing again throughout the whole rest of the scripture till you get to the book of Revelation. That might surprise you, but we'll talk about that later. Were the angels created sequentially, one at a time, like you and I? Even twins or triplets, you know, one comes out at a time. No, they were all created at the same time. This means that there are no angels older than other angels. Uh, they're all the same age. That would be nice, maybe. Yeah, miss having your mommy and your babies, wouldn't you? But this does mean that um, there are no little angel babies and no old angels like whatever that creature is on that one side looks like. Zeus with wings, but uh, and every angel, every angel, like every person and every snowflake, every angel is unique. If there is such a thing, they have angel DNA, individual personalities, different ranks, different duties. They have names, although we do not know the names of most of the angels, angels except for four. How many angels' names are given in scripture? Only four. Two holy angels, Michael and Gabriel, and two unholy or fallen angels, Lucifer and Apollyon. There are no more angels being created or reproduced. The number of angels was forever fixed when God commanded and they were created. They cannot reproduce. They are genderless spirit beings. So as I said, no angel babies, no angel mommies, no angel grandmothers, um, and uh, no angel families. Unlike man, angels are spirit beings only. <clears throat> Hebrews 1.14 tells us that. They do not possess flesh and blood and bone bodies. They are incorporeal, is the big word. They are also invisible. But sometimes God allows them to be seen by humans. And when they do become visible to humans, they appear in the form of man. Sometimes appearing as an ordinary man, other times as supernatural men with raiment that uh, glows or in a face, you know, that has like the glory of God on it. And it's so obvious that they're supernatural, but they always appear as men. And these, appearance, these appearances are called angelophanies. That's another big word. You know, like a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament is a Christophany. Appearances of angels to men is an angelophany. Angels are not the spirits of deceased human beings. My mother was wrong because her, grandma, her mother was wrong and her mother was wrong. When we die, we do not become angels. People never become angels. Angels never become people. There is no missing link angel man, <clears throat> except my husband, who I know is part angel because he's always up in the air harping about something. <laughs> he's back there. <laughs> Does the fact that angels are spirit beings prove that they do not have any kind of body? Did you understand my question? Because they're spirit beings, does that mean they don't have any kind of a body? Does that prove that? Well, not necessarily. And theologians are divided on this issue. Some will point to 1 Corinthians 15:40 as an indication that perhaps angels have some kind of a celestial body. 
I don't know, they just go back and forth on this. We do know that two angels appeared as men and ate with Abraham. <clears throat> Psalm 78 actually calls manna, it calls it angel's food. Lechem abirim is angel's food. So does that mean that angels can eat? I don't know. But I know one thing, they never eat deviled eggs. <laughs> or devil food's cake. <laughs> I don't know, but it's something interesting to think about. Where do angels live? Do they live invisibly here on earth? Uh, or do they live in the atmospheric or the stellar heaven, stellar space? And I think that's why there's so many sightings these days of what they call UFOs. I think, you know, as we come to the end times, there's a lot more activity going on. And a lot of that is just spiritual warfare going on. But anyway, that's another story. Or do they live in the third heaven where God dwells? Well, <clears throat> although they seemingly have access to the entire universe, their home, scripture tells us that the home for the holy angels is in God's third heaven. But at certain times, he sends them forth on specific earth-related assignments. As he sent Gabriel to Daniel in chapter 9, and as he sent Gabriel again to Mary. And when they complete their God-given assignment, what do they do? They then return to heaven. Now, both the Hebrew, Hebrew word for angel, which is malech, and the Greek word for angel, which is angelos, both words mean messenger. Angel messengers are sometimes sent to inform and instruct, and other times they are sent to interpret the will or the word of God. Individuals who received messages from angels, and there's more than this, but I'm just going to give you some. Individuals who received messages from angels include Daniel and Zechariah, the uh, father of John the Baptist, um, Zacharias, Mary, of course, and Joseph, the Bethlehem shepherds, the women at the empty tomb, the apostles, Cornelius, and of course, John in the book of Revelation. Angels are outside of time, although they understand time, and they intersect time from time to time. <laughs> but they never age, they never get sick, they never need to go on a diet, and they never die. They are immortal. And yet they're finite. They're not infinite, which means they're not eternal. They are finite, just like us, because they did have a beginning. All angels were created holy. And they were given the personal attributes of intelligence, emotion, and a moral will or volition to willingly fellowship with God in holiness. In other words, you know, God didn't want to create subjects to worship and serve and love him, human or angelic, that were robotic, that were forced to love him, serve him, worship him, right? Because that's not true love, true worship, to be forced to love someone. And so he gave the angels, just like human humanity, free will. Uh, to, to decide to worship with him and love him. At one point, you know this, prior to Genesis chapter 3, an anointed cherub who was an honor guard of God's throne, described in Ezekiel 28 verse 12 as being full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This cherub deceived himself, you know, before he ever deceived anybody else, he deceived himself into thinking that he could be like God and even exalt himself above God. He took the gifts of his creator and desired to use them for his own proud and selfish end, and it was the entrance of sin into the universe. 
He then perverted truth and persuaded one-third of the angels. He must have been very, and still is, <laughs> very, very persuasive, very charismatic. But he perverted truth, persuaded a third of the angels to join him in his rebellion. Now think about this. If Lucifer had truly, truly been as God, he could have created his own great host of angelic and human subjects to serve and worship him, couldn't he? If he was like God and greater than God, okay, go out and create your own kingdom, your own subjects. But he couldn't do that. As a mere created being, the best he could do was to steal God's subjects from, you know, with his lies and his deceptions. He is a complete counterfeiter. And with his rebellion, there was a change in his character. All holiness and beauty were lost, replaced with vile corruption. He was cast from heaven, and his name was changed from Lucifer, which means shining one, to Satan, which means adversary. He's the great foe, great adversary, enemy of God. He is called the prince of devils, and he is called the prince of the power of the air, and many other names. It was with this rebellion that all the angels... All of the angels made their choice. Oops, I guess I go back there. Those who of their own free will, their own volition, chose to remain loyal to God became confirmed in their holiness, in their sinlessness. Those who joined the rebellion were eternally confirmed in their state of sinful rebellion. They are locked forever in their depravity. They are not redeemable. Unlike man, you see, angels have no physical nature. They're spirit beings only. They're not subject to physical death, which is the separation of our body from our spirit. So no fallen angel could ever be resurrected with a new glorified body. Also, as spirit beings, they do not reproduce. They're called the sons of God, but they're never called the sons of angels. We're the sons of God and the sons of man, but they're never called the sons of angels because there is no reproduction. So this meant that Christ could not be born into the angelic realm in order to redeem the fallen angels. He could not, cannot become a God angel as he became the God man to be their kinsman redeemer. You following me? Plus they had such an advantage, they were in God's throne room. They knew who God was. They were there when he created everything. So they're without excuse in their rebellion against him. Their fate is forever set. I get into this more. Y'all got a handout, right? If you want to read a little bit more on the second uh, side of this handout, it says, why angels are not redeemable. Their fate is forever set. So I have some good news for you. Maybe this is something you have never thought about being thankful for before in your whole life. But you can really be thankful that you are a sinful human and not a sinful angel. That's why I wanted Connie to sing that song that the angels can't sing. They can't sing the song of redemption like we can. Angels are greater than man for now. For now, they are greater in intelligence. Think about this, okay? They have lived since the beginning of the creation or before. We don't know when exactly, but it was before the earth. And so they have seen everything from the beginning of human history, and they have learned a whole lot more than us. They are intelligent beings. They've had a lot more time than us to study the word of God. They're smarter than we are, and they've seen everything unfold. They are also greater than us in strength, and we are told this in 2 Peter 2.11. It says, whereas angels which are greater in power and might... Remember there was one angel who smote 185,000 Assyrians? You don't want to go up against an angel. They are definitely stronger than us. They are also 
greater than us in speed. They can be one place one second and another place another second. They are unhindered by a flesh body. They are unbound by the laws of gravity. So we are currently a little lower than the angels. They are greater in smarts, they are greater in strength, and they are greater in speed. But when we who believe on Christ are glorified and no longer possess our sin nature, we will be higher than the angels. It even tells us that we will judge the angels or rule with the angels. I guess we help judge the fallen angels, I'm not sure. We will rule with the angels during the millennial kingdom, and that is so exciting to think about, isn't it? Holy angels can never be one with God in Christ, as we can. They only know Jesus ex uh, experientially as their Lord and their creator, but they do not know him personally as their Lord and Savior. It's another thing to be thankful about. The primary purpose of angels, <clears throat> as with us, was to glorify, is to glorify God. They were created by him and what? And for him. They serve him as worshipers, warriors, watchers, and messengers, four things. Angels are referred to as an angelic host or an angelic company, not a race. So you never use the term an angelic race, like the human race. And the reason for this is because the number of angels never changes. They're called a host, not a race. The word host carries a distinctive military meaning with it. And indeed, the Bible often portrays the angels as God's army. More than 250 times, God is called the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of heavenly armies. Angels in scripture are seen as powerful male warriors, more like ninja warriors than like little cupie dolls, all soft and fluffy like a meringue pie or something. You know, all those little Valentine cutesy uh, cherub, they call them cherub, that's not at all what a cherub looks like, um, but they're, they're warriors. They're strong and mighty. Uh, they do battle in the spiritual realm, assisting us in spiritual warfare against Satan's wicked forces, who, if you have not noticed, have infested this world. And by the way, Satan is not in hell, and he never has been. He will be one day in the lake of fire. But he has never been there yet. You know, hell was not created for man. It is not God's will that any man should perish, but that all would be saved, right? Hell was created for who? Satan and those angels that followed him. So if any human wants to follow Satan and all the fallen angels, they will follow him right into hell. But it wasn't created for us, for man. He today is a roaring lion, you know, roaming about this earth seeking whom he may devour and destroy. As mighty as angels are, yet they are inferior to God. They are not demigods. They do not possess the attributes of deity. They're not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. They are ever-learning, just like we will be. I believe throughout eternity, they are ever learning and ever desiring to understand the manifold wisdom of God through Christ and through redemption. They are not omnipresent. That means they can't be everywhere at one time. Angels are localized. And that translates to Satan. You know, he can only be in one place at one time. So we cannot all say the devil made us do it at the same time. Not true. Uh, and they are not omnipotent. They are not all-powerful. So they do not have the attributes of God. They do not possess the uh, attributes of deity. Now, 1 Corinthians 11.10 tells us that we, you and I, are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels. You see the angels looking down on the earth? They're, well, that's why they're called watchers. 
They are watching us. That's a little scary. <laughs> so uh, they are part of that great cloud of witnesses that's mentioned in Hebrews 12.1. They have watched with great wonder at the unfolding of God's plan, redemptive plan for sinful man in Christ. 1 Peter 1.12 talks about the things which angels long to look into. They are curious. They're ever watching. What do you think they see when they watch us today? 21st century America. It's kind of scary to think about. But don't ever think you're alone. You're never alone. You're always being alone. Of course, God sees you, and that's more important. Well, to witness the submission and condescension, I mentioned this earlier, for them to, to watch all this unfold when the eternal Son of God the great I am, their creator, became incarnate man, a baby in a manger. That was absolutely an awesome spectacle for the angels. They must have been scratching their spiritual heads. You know, they're really nobodies, aren't they? <laughs> they don't have any bodies. They're nobodies. Did you get that? The, all of this was new. The angels had... They had only before seen Christ as sovereign creator of the universe, never as the subject of his own creation, <clears throat> who even encountered Satan in uh, prolonged temptation and conflict, not just those 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, but throughout his whole life, even all the way to you know, the cross. Satan was constantly tempting him and in conflict with him. Um, and they watched as he allowed himself to be subjected to the humiliating death of the cross for the sake of sinful man. You know, they're looking down at sin. You did that for them? They're just awful, Lord. Why? Uh, it had to just be so amazing to the angels. But in all that, you know what? They learned, the angels learned, how to glorify God for attributes that they never knew about him before. You see, the holy angels, when they watched the third of the angels fall, did God display unconditional love for Satan and his followers? Did he display mercy or grace or forgiveness or long-suffering patience? No. They were they're forever condemned. But when man fell and immediately in the garden, you know, he killed a, the, shed the blood of an innocent animal and sin substitutionary, all that, and they're watching this, and, and, and now they're able to praise God for the attributes of his grace and his mercy and his unconditional love. So you see, all along, why did God allow evil into the world? I'll tell you why. So he could be glorified for all of his attributes. Do you get it? You get it? Do this, so I know. I mean, it is amazing. It just is amazing but what the angels must have seen, all of this, you know, going on. And they're still watching with great interest. To whom do the angels minister? Well, the good news is Hebrews 1.14 tells us that they are ministering spirits sent from God for those who inherit salvation. Are you saved? Are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope you do. Everyone in this room, you need to before you leave this world. And you never know when that could be. You need to know him. So that you'll be with the angels. You know what the angels are going to say when you get to heaven? Halo. <laughs> but you know, the promise of ministering spirits, the promise of uh, ministering angels is not for everyone. It's not for everyone. Generally, <clears throat> when we read about holy angels regarding unbelievers, they're involved in judgment executing God's judgment. They were involved in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were used by God in bringing the plagues on Egypt. You can read about that in Psalm 78. And during the yet future great tribulation, angels are going to be very involved, very involved in administering God's wrath on rebellious man. So the ministering spirits are for you and I, the children of Christ, the children of God. Now let me ask you a question. When you're in physical trouble, uh, serious trouble, 
What do you do to contact help? We're told to dial what? 911. Well, what about when you're in some kind of spiritual trouble? You got to go ahead. There we go. Um, I would also, and this is a good way to remember this verse, I would also suggest that you dial or look up Psalm 911. That verse speaks about believers dwelling in the shelter of the Most High God, who is our refuge and our fortress. Then, if you go on and dial 911, put in an extra one, you learn how it is that God is our refuge and our shelter. <clears throat> because that verse says, for he will command. Who commands? God. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So we notice there that it is the Lord who commands his angels in their ministry concerning our lives. We do not command angels. So now some people think that you can just say, come down, Michael, and save me, or Gabriel, you know. You can't. You, we can't command them. God commands them. And uh, <clears throat> we don't call on them to do our work at our bidding. It's all him. Now, as we get this far, I know some of you are probably wondering about this question. Do we each have guardian at guardian angel? Well, what did we just read from Psalm 91? The Bible says that at God's command, they do what? At his command, they guard us in all our ways. Do we have guardian angels? Yes. Now, whether we each have a specific guardian angel, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that I have at least two because my first one is in serious counseling. Some of you have more than two, probably. <laughs> but probably all of us, I know I can, probably everyone in here can look back at some time in your life uh, some near accident, some close call with death, maybe a child was in trouble. I remember so specifically and vividly when my children were little and I was worn out and I, I took a nap on the sofa and I was out cold. I mean, I was in one of those deep sleeps and I remember a touch on my shoulder that woke me up. No one was in the room. And I jumped up and I thought, the kids. And sure enough, ran out in the yard and my crazy son was way up high. I think Troy Decker was with him, up in a tree, very high, very dangerous. That, you know, I think we have, there, I could go on and on with other close calls with things. Um, times when we realize that something special happened, um, some intervention between this natural realm and the supernatural realm took place. And we may not even have realized it until hindsight, years later. You look back and you say, there had to be someone protecting me. I think we all could have a story about that. At God's command, angels protected Lot from the destruction of Sodom. They protected Elisha from the Syrians they comforted Elijah under the juniper tree. They delivered Daniel from the lion's mouths. They delivered the apostles in Acts 5 from prison. They took the chains off of Peter. They released him from prison in Acts 12. They released Paul in Acts 16. That was all the angels. Sometimes, also, people unknowingly entertain angels. This was certainly true with Abraham initially. He didn't realize he was entertaining not only the pre-incarnate Christ, but two angels. Uh, it was also true with Lot. 
When angels were seen, they were often mistaken as men because they manifested themselves in man-like appearances. Angels always appear as what? Men. Again, sorry, hobby, lobby. They always appear as men, never as ghosts, never as winged animals. And speaking of that, there's another little article here about Zechariah's stork winged women. Someone will say, yeah, well, there were female women in Zechariah chapter 5. Somebody was ready to come up, right? No, you said, what are you talking about? Anyway, those aren't angels, so you read that little bit. Um, they never appear as winged women or, or animals, uh, ghosts. There are no indications in scripture of angels ever appearing in female form. Now, another common misconception of angels is that they all have wings. Hmm. And, you know, when you go into the fellowship hall, your napkin rings are wings and my little earrings are wings. And, but not all angels have wings. Let's talk about that. There is not a single explicit reference to any angel with wings appearing to men on earth. Did you know that? Every time an angel appeared on earth, there is no mention of wings. However, um, uh, there are creatures in the Bible described with wings. Every one of them, however, was seen in a vision, such as Isaiah had a vision of seraphim, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Apostle John, you know, they saw cherubim and the four living creatures, which are a combination of cherubim and seraphim, etc. So evidently, but those are the only winged ones, okay? And they're always in visions. But evidently the idea that angels have wings developed because of the several passages in scripture that describe them as flying. So when you hear about angels flying, you think of wings, don't you? Um, however, that is symbolic that they fly because that merely speaks of their, that sim symbolizes their speed, that they are fast. And by the way, the only two places are in Daniel 9.21 and Revelation 14.6 that talk about angels flying. You see, since they are spirit beings, remember they're no bodies? They don't need wings <laughs> to keep their bodies up in the air or to propel them forth. Just like it talks about the arms of God, or you know, it's just it's symbolic to speak of their, their speed in serving God. The only heavenly creatures that um, are described with wings, as I said, are the cherubim, the seraphim, the four living creatures, which are called zoan in uh, Revelation, which means living creatures, literally. That's where we get our word zoo. But again, the descriptions of them are presented by those who saw them via a vision or a special act from God. So as with many things seen by God given vision revelation, their descriptions are full of symbolism. The cherubim, and that, you see that picture with the four heads there? And the blue, the blue clouds behind, that, that cherubim there, that's biblical picture. Not the little guys with the angels and the bows and arrows that you see at Valentine's Day. That's a, that's a biblical picture there. They guard the presence of God and the things of God. They guard his throne. That's why Satan, at one Lucifer, was a cherub. He guarded the throne of God. They guarded the tree of life. Remember the cherubim with the flaming swords? Um, they guarded the place where he dwelt with man in the tabernacle and in the temple. That's why the Ark of the Covenant had the two cherubim hovering over. They guard the presence of God and the holiness of God. They're described as having four faces. One angel, four faces. One facing each direction. One face is of a man, one is an ox, one is an eagle, and one is a um, lion. They also are described with four wings. 
two on their back, which picture their speed, symbolize their speed, and two to cover their body, which speaks of their reverence, their humility and their reverence before God. The descriptions speak of uh, the Christ man. Everything is symbolic about them. They're spirit beings. So all this is given you know, for our understanding about them. They speak, their, their appearance speaks of the God-man who is creator of both man and animals. Cherubim, you'll be interested to know, are never called angels. They are never referred to as angelos or malech, the, two, the Greek and the Hebrew word for angels. That doesn't mean they're not of the spirit angelic realm. It just means that they are not messengers. What does the word angelos mean? Messengers. You will never hear of a cherub or, or the cherubim giving messages to anyone, God's people. They protect the holiness, the presence of God. The seraphim, now seraphim, and by the way, their four faces picture Christ, the Messiah. And I'll talk about that in a minute when I get to the living creatures. But the seraphim, seraphim means burning ones. They're only mentioned one time in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah saw them in a vision before God's throne. And what were they proclaiming? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they are described as having six wings, two to cover their face from beholding God, two to cover their feet, which speak of their reverence and their humility before his presence, and two on their back, which picture, symbolize their swiftness to serve the Lord. It's all symbolic. They worship God's person particularly his holiness, holy, 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 one holy for each of the members of the Godhead. They too are never called angelos or malech because they are never seen bringing messages to God's people from God. Then there are the living creatures of Revelation who were seen by John in a vision. And they have similarities to both the cherubim and the seraphim. John only saw four of them. For all we know, there are only four living creatures. He saw four of them around the throne of God, and he described them as being covered all over. If you could see that picture better, you would know. I have a screen there. That's why I keep looking up there, so I see what you're looking at. But they're covered with eyes everywhere. Eyes. Wouldn't that be weird? Eyeballs all over. Um, they, each of them has a different face. Now, there's four of them, so they don't each have four faces, you know, <laughs> like the cherubim but one living creature has the face of a lion one has the face of an ox another has the face of a man and one has the face of an eagle their faces just like with the cherubim depict the earthly ministry of Christ presented in the four gospels we know that in Matthew Jesus is presented as the king the lion in Mark he is presented as the servant of God the ox in Luke he's presented as the son of man the face of the man, okay? And then in John, he is presented as the son of God, which is represented by an eagle. No angel literally appeared in such form to a man on earth. Can you imagine if they did? That person would die of a heart attack right then and there. That regular, you know, men-looking angels or even supernatural angels that appeared almost killed Daniel off and some of the others. But these visions are full of symbolism. Why are they covered with eyes? Anybody can guess why they're covered with eyes? What does that speak of? God's omniscience, that he can see everything. So that, you know, they're all picturing, they picture the one they worship. There is no evidence that what is true of cherubim, seraphim, and the living creatures is also true of God's messenger angels. How many angels are there? Another question. How many? Anybody want to guess? There it is in yellow. <laughs> innumerable. Uh, Hebrews 12.22 says that they're, they're innumerable. And we're told in other scripture that they are, there are as many as the stars of heaven. Can anybody count how many stars there are in heaven? Uh, elsewhere it says there are a thousand thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. Now this is interesting. Some people speculate 
<clears throat> that there are um, the same number of angels created, it will equal the number of human beings who will ever exist from Adam to the last little baby born during the millennial kingdom before the eternal state. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. But I don't know. I can't be dogmatic. All right, now this may surprise you, but scripture only speaks of one archangel. If I had asked you before I put that up and said how many archangels, many here probably would have said two, Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel might be an archangel, but the scripture only calls Michael an archangel. So at the rapture, when we hear the voice of God and the, uh, the trump of, um, what is it, trump of God and the voice of the archangel, well, if he's the one blowing the trumpet, it will be Michael, not Gabriel, blowing that trumpet. Uh, and also another thing at this time of year, Christmas, many assume that it was Gabriel who spoke to Joseph, the espoused husband of Mary. But again, that is just pure speculation because it never says he was Gabriel just as an angel appeared to Joseph. The Lord Jesus is not an archangel. And you all know that, don't you? You say, well, of course he isn't, Catherine. Why do you mention that? I mention that because that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, that Jesus is an archangel. He is not an angel. He is God, the creator of angels. And uh, Jesus and Lucifer are not spirit brothers. Again, you say, well, duh. But I mention that because that's what the Mormons teach. They teach that Satan and Lucifer are spirit brothers. That is heresy. The holy angels ministered extensively during the earthly life of the Lord Jesus from the time of Gabriel's announcement made to John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, to the young virgin named Mary, to an angel, not Gabriel necessarily, who spoke to Joseph, uh, and an angel who proclaimed the Lord's birth to Bethlehem shepherds, to his post-wilderness temptation after those 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, angels came down and ministered to the Lord. And then after his uh, time where he sweat blood, tears of blood, and sweat blood in Gethsemane, who came to minister to him? An angel. Angels were very involved in the Lord. Remember even on the, he could have called down, called down a legion of angels, Right? To save him, he didn't even have to call the angels. He could have just burst right off of that cross if he wanted to. But angels will also be very involved in the tribulation period that precedes the Lord's second coming. The holy angels are completely Christ-centered. Am I behind? Did I just put that one up? All right, let me go to the next one. They are completely Christ-centered. They are not about themselves at all. They are um, kind of like the Holy Spirit. You know, who does the Holy Spirit always point to? Himself? If you're in a church that, you know, magnifies the Holy Spirit above Christ, something is wrong. The Holy Spirit always magnifies the Lord. Angels do the same thing. It's not about them. They're always pointing to the Lord. They don't even really want to be noticed. Um, and definitely, they do not want to be worshipped. They are kind of like the Navy SEALs. They come in quietly undercover. They get the job done, and then they get out of the way. It's not important. Now, it would be nice if you'd seen an angel. I've never seen an angel that I know of. Maybe I have, um, other than my husband, you know, harping. But it's not important whether or not you've ever seen an angel. But it is important to know from Scripture that they see us. We may never see them, but they see us. They are ever watching. They are ever curious about us. There is a spiritual realm all around us. And the thinness that separates this temporal world from the spiritual eternal world is like the tissue paper you put in your Christmas presents. It's that thin. You want to know the reality of the spiritual world? You'll know it the minute you leave this earth. Just because we don't see spiritual realities does not lessen their existence. You know what? They're actually more real than this world. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says that this world is what? Passing away. Passing away. 
It's transitory. It is not lasting. But the unseen, the eternal world will last for how long? Forever. Forever. So what can we learn from the angels? Well, they are always ready, ready, willing, quick to, do, to minister to their creator. They are completely committed and surrendered to doing his will. Quickly. Not hesitating. You know, they don't have to scratch their heads and say, let's see. I'm not sure I want to go to Africa. Uh, and this is another reason they're always associated, or they many times, I don't know if you can figure out what that is, but that's a chariot of fire. <laughs> this is why sometimes they're affiliated with uh, not only the wind, it's because they're, you know, and wings, wind and wings, um, and wheels and chariots. Um, it's because they're willing to do God's will quickly, quickly and fervently. They're also associated with fire. Some stand in his presence ready at a moment's notice to carry his messages to men. You know, when Gabriel introduced himself to John the Baptist's father, he said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Angels are always at their duties as guardians, not only of God's honor and his holiness, but of his people, God's people. They love us, you know why? Because God loves us. They rejoice in the Lord's works of creation. Remember they sang when he created the earth and the found, laid the foundation? They sang. They also rejoice in his work of redemption. They are genuinely joyful every time and a sinner, a sinful human gets saved. So shouldn't we be? You know, if the angels are rejoicing, we should be. Sometimes we go, oh, yeah, well, we had ten saved at the living nativity. Isn't that nice? We can learn about worshiping God from them. We think of Isaiah's vision of seraphim hovering over on either side of Yahweh, God, as they cry out, holy, holy. I mean, they do that day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And then in Revelation chapter 4, the four living creatures around the throne of God are also crying out, holy, 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 Lord God mighty. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know what else we can learn from the angels? They do not believe in evolution. So, as we face life's struggles, and we all have struggles, every one of us, remember this, you're not on your own. We have God. That's the greatest truth of all. We have God, and we have all of his promises, including the one that he will never leave us nor forsake us. If you're truly born again, you have Christ in you, and the Holy Spirit as your comforter, and your teacher, and your guide, who energizes us and enables us in our spiritual growth and in our witness for Christ, you know, live out to become more Christ-like. We have the Bible, which is our sword on earth, and we also have the ministry of God's holy angels. Our victory is in Jesus, but his holy angels are fighting for us because he loves us. He sends them out on our behalf, and it should give us, each one of us, great confidence to know that we are surrounded by his heavenly army, angelic army. And one final thing, and perhaps one of the most meaningful ministries angels have to us as believers, is that at the moment of death, angels accompany us to heaven. Luke 16, 22. Lazarus was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom, paradise. You say, oh, that's just a parable. You can't take doctrine from a parable, Catherine. No parable ever contains a real person's name, Lazarus. Also, Elijah was whisked into heaven in a chariot of fire, which was a heavenly escort of angels. Scripture said, remember we read this earlier? Psalm 91, 1, 1. Remember, you'll never forget that. That God gives his angels charge over us in what? All our ways. And that includes death. So when our spirit is separated from our body, the angels will be there 
to personally escort us into our eternal inheritance. Don't need to fear death. What a glorious day that will be. And there are many testimonies of people who on their deathbed cried out that they saw an angel. My sister just passed, as many of you know, um, November. My very last conversation with her, she told me she saw an angel. She had just gotten word that she was terminal. She had four operations in one week. She was in the hospital um, in the hallway after one of the operations, and she was all by herself, and she was very despondent. She only lasted 52 days, and she found out on her birthday. But anyway, she said, you're one of the few people I could tell this to, Catherine, but I saw an angel, and it comforted me so much. And she had no idea. I've been studying for weeks about angels. Another interesting thing is her doctor, she said, you'll appreciate this too. My doctor's name is Jesus. And I said, well, you're in good hands. Your doctor is Jesus and you just saw an angel, so nothing to worry about. <laughs> so whether we realize it or not, angels are a part of our daily lives, night and day. You know, they don't have to sleep either. As the Holy Spirit works in us, the angels work for us, you know, kind of like from the outside. Sometimes humans see them or sense their presence. On occasion, they save us from danger. Sometimes they touch our tired and weak bodies. Sometimes we may have entertained them without knowing. They know when we're afraid. They know when we acknowledge Christ as Savior because they rejoice with us. They know also when someone rejects him. They're offended if we worship them. And they always, always redirect worship and praise to the Lord Jesus. And finally, they are there with believers when we die. And we will, they will meet us in heaven. And say, hello. So are you ready to face death because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ? I hope so. And if not, please take care of that. Today is the day of salvation. We are not guaranteed tomorrow, any of us. So would you bow with me in prayer and then stay put because I'm going to give some directions about what we do next, okay? So let's bow in prayer. Father, I pray that the biblical unfolding of the concept and existence of angels intensifies our admiration and adoration of your love and grace toward us. Thank you for their ministry, not only to yourself, but to us, which is, of course, by your command. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be ever mindful of the fact that nothing we do down here on earth is trivial. We may be in the background, you know, nobody sees, but in, heaven eyes, in heaven's eyes, everything is seen. And that our walk with you is being observed by a great cloud of heavenly beings. I imagine if we could hear an angel speak to us right now, he would likely say what others have said before him. He would say to us, worship God, glorify and praise him with your lives. Praise his name. Because he is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and is worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for he has created all things, and for his pleasure they are and were created. So thank you, God of all the angels. Thank you, God of all mankind. Thank you, God of our hope and our comfort for the truth of eternal salvation in your Son, whose incredible incarnation we particularly celebrate this time of year. We ask these things in your blessed name. Amen.